Hey everybody, uh, this is Calmsword here, and I'd like to welcome you to the first week of September. Um, that always looks better on paper uh, when I write it, uh, as opposed to saying it. I feel like I'm just saying September wrong. But um, we have uh, we have a pretty exciting uh, month ahead of us. Um, there is obviously there are new rules that have been. Uh, published and updates, uh, patches, if you will, to the 10th edition that we're all uh, enjoying uh, in, to, uh, for, for one extreme or another. Um, but we, you know, uh, locally at the Discord, uh, Tau40,000, we are doing a couple events, a couple community events, um, the first of which is the Fist of Monka, uh, which is returning for its second year in which uh, participants will be able to sign up over on Gumroad. Um, there'll be a link in the description of this episode. Uh, but you will, uh, you'll be able to uh, build and paint from gray to at least three colors. Um, you'll be able to uh, compete against other uh, community members uh, for the Fist of Monka, which is a uh, trophy that's been designed by uh, Piper, Piper Makes. Um, and uh, there is also a hundred dollar uh, cash prize. Uh, well, not cash. It's a, it's, <laughs> uh, it's a gift card, uh, and a fifty dollar uh, gift card for the runner up. Um, we had a, a really wonderful uh, year last time, and uh, and it looks like we've uh, we've got some people returning. But it's uh, it's pretty cool, and it's a, uh, it's a uh, you know it's a good chance to. Uh, build community as well as uh, get you to um, get kind of an incentive to get uh, more of the stuff off the shelf and into the display case. Uh, so that's the first one that we've got. The second one uh, is uh, we are continuing with our leaderboard um, uh, and that is run off of Tabletop Simulator. Uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. It started a little bit earlier uh, than September, um, but that's being done in conjunction with uh, the PureTie program. Um, uh, uh, with, uh, with Pure Tide himself, uh, giving tips and, uh, ways to play tournament style games. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I have, uh, witnessed one or two games. Uh, they're pretty intense. Um, I am not a tourney player. I'm more of a casual, uh, kind of guy. Um, but I have been, uh, I've been a really avid, uh, tabletop simulator fan since COVID. So, um, Highly recommend if you uh, get a chance to see a few games. Um, the first couple of tiers will be established earlier uh, in the month and then move on to kind of like a, it's almost like a, a pyramid uh, with the with the uh, player with the most wins uh, getting to be at the very top. Um, we also have a fan fiction writing competition. And uh, I end with this one because we will segue into some lore. Um, but uh, it's an opportunity for people to join our uh, our growing watercast ranks with uh, with special titles uh, on the Discord as well. Um, but but a, uh, <laughs> uh, by popular request, there's uh, while there is a you know first prize, second prize, third third prize uh, in terms of titles that you earn, uh, and we will also be publishing on an archive of our own, um, which we now have. Uh, the Tau 40,000, uh, uh, I guess, member, they call it like a member channel uh, where people can upload their stories. Um, we will also have our version of the Razzies, um, the opposite of the Academy Award. Uh, we will have uh, the Mad Sword, uh, the opposite of Calm Sword. 
the Mad Sword being um, the person who can write a story that breaks the most amount of lore or basically gets under my skin the most. Um, there are a surprising number of people who have uh, said that they are excited to write something. Um, <laughs> I look forward to reading them. Um, but but let's segue into uh, this this episode's topic, which um, which is uh, I guess the best way to describe it is is the subject of canonicity, um, the subject of continuity, um, and and really what is going to represent the next big kind of chapter for uh, for the podcast. Um, over the course of the next four weeks, uh, I will be doing uh, many more episodes. So sorry for the uh, absence. Uh, I uh, well, real life happened, and and uh, and you know how it goes. Um, but but I'm really starting to think of podcast and moving forward with it um, as trying to build something. Now I, I've done this a couple times, and those of you who remember the TauOnline.org days um, or the Advanced Tau Tactica. Uh, community that came out of it, um, I have always been a very avid believer in the Tau community uh, in general as, a, as part of the nerdverse uh, that we cohabit with each other. Um, I think, and I've said this before, I think that in order to be a Tau enthusiast, you kind of have to exist in a world with, uh, with rose-colored sh- uh, uh, shades uh, uh, sunglasses. Um, and that's because we, well, we're not space Marines. Um, and this isn't, again, you know, I always try to keep it positive, uh, in these podcasts. I don't want to, I don't want to razz on, on the space Marine, uh, fan base, but you know, it's, uh, you know, we are kind of the starved second, third or fourth child in the hierarchy of, uh, of games workshops, uh, attentions. And it does get difficult because we don't have we don't have a lot to work with. Every you know I uh, I have tried to be uh, you know fall in love with the Imperium of Mankind, um, and ultimately I just don't um, because I remain part of that older school of of uh, Tau enthusiast where I just I like the idea that there is a sane man, uh, well proverbial man, a sane man in a in a universe gone mad. I think it's interesting. I think the opportunities for narratives are always there. And over the course of the last twenty wow twenty two years, um, I you know I have I have always felt like I am I am fighting an uphill battle uh, to keep enjoying uh, my faction um, because it goes through many different iterations. And it just doesn't seem to get enough of the love uh, that that some other factions get, uh, and um, and then we're we're in this place where you know because we don't have a lot, well that must be what is canon, you know. Whereas opposed to if you're reading, let's say Dan Abnett's Space Marines, um, or versus you know Graham McNeil's Space Marines or or Aaron Dembski Bowden's, you know you have you have a different flavor, you know. Um, a las gun in one in one author's version of the universe has a very different impact than uh, than than another's. Um, there are you know one space marine per problem, uh, and then thousands of space marines. Um, and you know there has been there has been this rise in thirty k. They're 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 going to be getting 
Battlefleet Gothic or, or some new iteration of it. Um, they're going to be getting a version of Epic. And that's all cool in that we you know have new game systems, which are great, which will hopefully migrate over to Warhammer 40k. But I just, I find it, I find such a saturated market uh, and variety uh, for Space Marines. Um, well, I, I look at it with some jealousy, you know. Um, and all you have to do is go to the the various forums that that our our fan base uh, uh, frequents: Facebook, Reddit, um, Discord, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's hard it's hard being a Xenos uh, a Xenos scum. Um, but but what does that mean uh, for canonicity? Well, for Tau, uh, you know. A Tau, a Tau fan has to just has to be able to piece together the pieces of what does work, and a lot of you know a lot of people will will bring up uh, will bring up like well if you don't like something that doesn't mean it's not canon. Now in forty k that's actually not the case. Um, if you don't like something, it absolutely doesn't have to be part of your canon. You can ignore things uh, left, front, and center. Now. Um, to uh, an aficionado, uh, which I consider myself to be, I have to consider everything. So I do read um, lore that is contradictory, and I do read lore that I don't find to be particularly crafted well. Um, and I do offer my sometimes um, opinion, well, uh, perhaps a highfalutin uh, opinion of it um, often. Uh, and I do I do get pushback. Um, but the real problem with Tao lore is is that it suffers from the fact that uh, a person is writing uh, uh, inside of a larger universe. And so when that author is hired, they, they really are obligated as much as the aficionados of, of any uh, franchise or, or, or universe, uh, they are obligated to play by as many rules that exist. Um, you know, a good example... Uh, a good example of this would be uh, Timothy Zahn, uh, who wrote uh, the Thrawn trilogy, which then kind of got uh, both decanonized and then and then kind of re- resuscitated in the Rebels series with the character Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, I'm not going to go too much into Star Wars, uh, but but this is an example of you know uh, uh, a top tier author. Uh, working with the rules of the universe to then tell uh, a new story and create new characters. Um, I don't think that the xenophobia of Star Wars's empire was ever touched on that much before Timothy Zahn, but he made it kind of the key, the, the cornerstone uh, for his character, the only alien Grand Admiral in the hierarchy of the, uh, the Imperial fleet. Uh, and all the things that that meant, and it just provided just a, a, a three dimensionality to evil, right? Uh, with the uh, the empire, the, you know, the star, the galactic empire being uh, uh, xenophobic to a much lesser extent than the imperial one in Warhammer Forty K. So, so that dimensionality is something that I I crave, you know, and it's something that we get very much so with Thirty K. But when we look at you know, when we look at at, at the Tau, uh, that dimensionality seems to be barred from us because we get, um, you know, I will say, uh, you know, with the Farsight series and, and most recently the Shadow Sun book, which um, I've written reviews for, um, you know, it's good pulse, uh, a, a 
if you're aware of the term bolter porn, it's very good pulse porn. Um, there's a lot of cool things happening. You know, you've got Commander Farsight single-handedly blowing up a battle barge or a strike cruiser. Um, you've got uh, Shadow Sun blowing up a, uh, a Shadow Sword, a super heavy battle tank with a grenade. Um, no more spoilers or anything, but... But you know it's 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 cool, right? It's it's nice to see that stuff. You've got uh, Commander Caius, uh, who uh, seemingly kind of takes on an entire uh, <laughs> chapter of Dark Angels and takes them out. And people want to see that, and people want to have fun. You know, people want to watch uh, and read and experience fun moments. You know, and um, and that's the that's the big draw of the 40k universe. You know, big cinematic battles. But I think that as you peel back some of that you start to yearn for stories and personal stories. And and we don't have many of those. I mean, let's be perfectly honest, almost all of the named ethereals have either been forgotten in the case of Anshi or have been uh, well, murdered in the case of Anva and, and just kind of dead-ended. Like, so Anshi was last seen in Kimura. Okay, well, what's he doing? I have no idea. Anva was assassinated 30 years ago by a uh, an imperial assassin. He everything's fine. He's just an artificial intelligence now. No big deal. Um, and 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 I'm I'm looking at these new books that are coming out that are part of the Indomitus Crusade. And I don't doubt they'll you know we'll eventually get one because you know slowly but surely they're well they're going to run out of chaos space marines to kill and eventually they'll have to kill us. But that, you know, eventually that's going to tire as well. Um, everybody wants to be kind of the, the, everybody wants to be in the, in the driver's seat at some point. And, um, and right now I don't see very much in the way of farsight, right? Like I don't, I don't see very much conflict having there, hap happening there because most people regard uh, the version of farsight uh, as the one with the most pages. Um, and that's Empire of Lies and, and, uh. Uh, and that's and that kind of uncompleted series that we're looking at right now, versus the previous uh, the Fehavari um, fire and ice version of Farsight, which is uh, a being who uh, felt deprived uh, of a victory that that belonged to them, and the leadership and ruling caste of his society uh basically did a did something for the greater good which is pulled him off of the front lines um a little bit like angron uh was pulled away from from the 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 final battle of his people uh by the emperor so so the conflict we've we've been deprived of the conflict and, and even even the, even the conflict that is described uh by far uh, for farsight in the most recent recent arcs of omen book it's like well what is his what is his conflict? Okay, well he's being tempted by corn. Okay, I don't see how that makes any sense, um, especially when you look at how the gods tempt great beings. Um, I highly recommend the thirty k novels in which uh, each of the primarchs are either tempted or fall to chaos. It's very subtle. It's very um, it's it's almost romantic. <laughs> Uh, without wanting, uh, I'm, I'm going to say a spoiler for uh, the end and the death. Uh, so if you uh, if you have not read that book and you want it to be uh, entirely fresh when you do, um, please uh, take a moment 
to just dial me down uh, for the next couple seconds as I describe uh, a scene in it. So Rogaldorn uh, has uh, teleported uh, with the uh, teleportation strike on Horus's flagship, and something has gone wrong. And he's ended up in some kind of uh, subplane of the warp uh, or an alternate version of, uh, of reality. Um, either way, he is in a place where there's nobody to fight. There's nobody to talk to. And he's there for a long time. Uh, the only thing he is surrounded by is the bones and leftover armor of Imperial Fists. And it's just an endless wasteland, effectively. There's nothing for him to do. There's nothing for him to solve. Which attacks him in a way that is, uh, is, is, is so unique. Because he's he, for the last X amount of books, Rogaldorn has been the deciding factor in the thing that defends Terra... Uh, from the invasion of his brother, Horus. And for him to be brought to a place in which there is nothing to do attacks something deep inside of him that that is is probably, uh, that, that has no way of coping with it, which is kind of, it's just boredom. And from that boredom comes a sense of ennui and, uh, and a sense of... Uh, I wish I could just be the thing that I am. You know, he, Dorn, on multiple occasions, uh, he 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 is is jealous of how his brothers like Jagata Khan, who uh, who who can just be free, right, and let loose and not have any responsibilities, you know, seemingly, and uh, and and just throw themselves into battle. He wants that, and in that want, whispers Corn. And, and, and I don't know what's going to happen. I am so excited for the next novel because in that single chapter, Rogaldorn is, is coaxed into, into wanting something. And that's where, that's what chaos is. It's, it's a, it's desire. It's, it's selfishness. It's all, it's all of the, you know, the seven deadly sins, um, coupled with, you know, fantastical, you know, four, four different points of, of, uh, of kind of perspectives, right? And, and for Korn to seduce a Primarch with boredom, it's, it's next level. It's ne next level storytelling. Uh, okay, I'm switching back. I don't, I don't know. Um, uh, switching back now, uh, if, you, if, you were, if, if you had uh, dialed me uh, way down. Uh, sorry about that. But, but in The Temptation, and, and we talked about, um, talked about this in the review for Arcs of Omen, uh, Farsight is tempted by Korn with visions of him basically in like, you know, a chaos dreadnought version of a crisis suit with, you know, uh, typical cornate weapons uh, with the skulls of ethereals around his neck and, and, and whatever. And the thing is, is that like, well, that's not much of a temptation because Farsight has never wanted to kill the ethereals. If he had killed the ethereals on Arthas Malak 300 some odd years ago, that would be something, right? If if he had and, and and by the way, not opposed to it, you know, that would have been a great moment uh, in which a commander loses himself uh, or themselves, and and then and murders the his attendant uh, ethereals. Like that's that's an interesting story, but they were killed by you know uh, demons of corn, uh, so he has nothing to do with it, and so for his temptation as he returns to Arthas Malak. 
in order to fight the orcs and chaos and so on and so forth. There is no temp- there's no real temptation there. And so what ends up happening is you just get this kind of, uh, 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 and I, again, I've said this before, kind of a nothing burger where it's like, okay, great, awesome. He shrugs off the temptation from corn and just kind of vibes with the fact that he's got friends, which is also, by the way, not true because even in the depictions and interactions of Farsight with the eight, he is not like a, a, a loving dad or an older brother or even a particularly good leader. He goes off and does things by himself. He doesn't really communicate to anybody ever. He's always yelling at Ovesa. He feels mostly pity for uh, the the uh, Tau in his entourage that are being sustained artificially. And he has no relationship with the newcomers. Uh, so I, I don't, like, the eight are not like, uh, you know, aren't like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, they're not like the X-Men. Um, they're a group of people kind of, just kind of in a blasé kind of gang that just hangs out with each other from time to time. Um, so, so, so here's an example where you have to pick your canonicity. I choose to pick the Farsight who has a chip on his shoulder who felt like his 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 victory was denied and that he is now free be, because of fate or whatever you know the 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 ethereals died um uh, at the start of his expedition and he is now free to experience the galaxy uh and figure out how to enact his his ultimate victory on it uh unrestrained and I think that that's what the fire cast is. I think that that's a that's that that's a, a microcosm of what the fire cast is. The fire cast are warriors. At the end of the day, they want to win. They want the the sensation and the joy and the exhilaration that comes from victory. Uh, very similar to a lot of the Space Marines, uh, and it's been brought up before the the comparisons between the White Scars. Um, probably a little bit too much on the nose, but there you go. And, and very much like the, you know, the, 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 let's call it the classical warrior spirit, all the Firecast wants to do is, is to unleash itself. But the last time they unleashed themselves was during the era of the Montaw, uh, which, which almost uh, saw the species go extinct. So within the Firecast is that, is Farsight's love of of the freedom and exhilaration of battle and just to be unrestrained and to fight war in the way that war uh should be fought without rules and without you know without kind of compensations or 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 anything and uh and the honor therein that you you know that culture kind of self-imposes on itself uh but then you have the ethereals and and what the ethereals are doing much like the parent uh that is described in the ninth edition codex, uh, the parental figure of the ethereals. I choose to believe in that one because that that is just so much more intriguing. That the that you have a ruling caste that actually wants something better uh, uh, for for all peoples, but is making the choice like a helicopter parent um, is making the choices for everyone. Uh, uh, that this is in fact what is the greater good, right? 
Uh, and yes, um, you absolutely can get genocide after out of that. You can get you can get horrible uh, war crimes. You you can get all of those possibilities. But on a more intimate level, you get you get the struggle of the child uh, against the parent. You get something that that thirty k never really uh, grasped because. Because the emperor is, you know, it is it is dad, right? He is he's 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 I mean he's effectively God, um, and you have these angels um, that are all rebelling in it, uh, against him. And depending on which source you want to read, the emperor knew that the rebellion was eventually going to happen, and he planned for it. It just happened early and whatnot, and so on and so forth. It, 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 there there are endless uh, depictions and, and versions of the of the fall of Horus and the, and the rise of the emperor as a god that we, we, we dedicate an entire pipe and people do you dedicate an entirely new podcast to that conversation. Um, but I want to see something else. And I feel like it's there with the Tao, which is, you know, the water cast. If you, if you look at all of the cast, they all have extremes. The water cast just thinks everything can be solved with uh, basically bureaucratic and psychological manipulation right and we see that the most in Fehavari's work uh where you see uh what happens to an, a military formation of tau that are being run by the water cast because the ethereal cast died the fire cast commander died and now it's just a high-ranking water cast individual who is calling the shots and yeah it's you know he's going nuts um, and kind of doing everything with cloak and cloaks and daggers and mirrors and, and so on and so forth. The Earth cast is insane, uh, bar none. Uh, they're experimenting with blowing up stars, and the only reason why they haven't, you know, weaponized it is because they think it's too sloppy right now. Which who knows what that means? But you know, you look at the Taunar. The Taunar was uh, was supposed to be uh, uh, there was there were resources coming into Kelshan uh, during the war with Gorgon. Uh, High Fleet Gorgon, and all of that, all of those resources were supposed to go toward more stealth systems. And instead, uh, the Earthcast scientist in charge was like, "Yeah, but you know, I'm going to make a pseudo Titan so that I can fight these giant uh, kaiju monsters that are invading my home." So, so the Earthcast just looks at everything from the perspective of like, "Yeah, but like, what if we did this crazy science project?" Um, the Firecast, as mentioned before, totally unrestrained combat would be great. Um, you know, you got to remember that they could make a fire, they could make a crisis suit for every single fire warrior, but they don't for cultural reasons. They could make an army of drones, but they don't because they're the ones that need to do the fighting. Um, so they are as much, you know, part of that warrior, romanticized warrior culture that, like, you know, we associate with the Vikings or the Spartans, right? They they are the ones that do the fighting and then i mean actually the aircast it's interesting we don't really have that many perspectives on the aircast probably because it's hard to write from the perspective of like an eight foot tall emaciated gray alien but uh the aircast has no real extremes except they like to live in space so maybe you know maybe they're the they're the, the odd one out but the thing the guys holding it all together the guys keeping it all in line and tempered and calm and moving forward as one are the ethereals. Um, and that's great. Um, but don't stop the story there. Go to, well, think about, think about a child rebelling against their parent. 
And and that's what I think Farsight could have been if Fehavari would have been, had been allowed to continue his series uh, Fire and Ice. Um, and I like to think that maybe one day he will. He certainly continues going forward with it in short story forms, and uh, we'll have a review of his uh, latest offering, uh, as well as... Um, there's an Imperial Guard novel uh, uh, about Cadians that just came out and about them fighting Tau. I will tell you right now, uh, it is uh, it is one-third an amazing book and really interesting. And, uh, and, then, and then very much a letdown. Uh, but back to Canon the City. So, so in order to enjoy the Tau, we, we, have, to, we have to embrace the... the convoluted uh, pathway uh, to get from to get from the books to the codexes you know to the forge world uh, the forge world uh, campaign books to even the to even the, the the Warhammer community site it's it is a it is a process and that what that does is that that creates a kind of a natural divide between people that want to just embrace the fact that you know, the, the version of Farsight, for example, that has the most books dedicated to him is written by the same guy. And, you know, you want to embrace that continuity. But you can't when, you know, the Shadow Sun book, the Patient Hunter, and the Farsight books can't even maintain a basic continuity between the, themselves and the Codex. You know, we are getting to a stage where the lack, the random lack of FTL that was shoved on onto us that's going to go away i bet you i bet you that in the next codex we will not see that it'll just be the tower now everywhere because they figured out there's a fear horizon drive or whatever and now they're a galactic presence period everybody should be happy now tau can fight everyone and it doesn't have to be uh it doesn't have to be uh in the eastern fringe if we want to have all of the armies of uh warhammer 40k in the same theater great that's going to be great. Every you know, new fans are going to come, and we're just going to forget the fact that at some point, someone wanted to honestly uh, create a science fiction faction in the Warhammer 40k universe that didn't have FTL. Um, that's good. Okay, so great. That's that's awesome. Um, but but as these things fall by the wayside, a a new narrative needs to emerge. Uh, the Shadow Sun narrative, great. She's got a cool new model. She'll probably, you know, fine. She'll be there. Farsight's got a cool uh, crisis suit. We don't even know what the crisis suit is, though. It doesn't look like any crisis suit I've ever seen. So is that what an archaic, you know, is, is that an, is that old? Or is it or is it something newly developed by Odessa? I don't know. The Arcs of Omen book didn't do any description on <laughs> Commander Farsight's appearance. Uh, didn't even explain what that uh, talisman on his arm is. Now, you know, I have my suppositions that it was some kind of dark Eldar, or dark angel uh, relic because it has the same symbol as uh, one of their formations back in 30K. Uh, that seems to be what it is because in the Arcs of Omen book, uh, there is a crash-landed craft of dark angels. But again, like all of this is just superfluous. It's It, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just random Easter eggs that don't really have a rabbit trail that I can go down to because because it's not very well thought out. So canonicity. What do we do about it? How do we enjoy uh, how do we enjoy the hobby? And 
the good news is, is that we enjoy the hobby just by listening to this podcast, by engaging each other uh, on a community level, um, talking on Reddit, you know. Uh, so that's the easy part, right? But I think that for my next phase, and uh, I know we're getting into a uh, half hour here, so I do apologize that I'm getting to my point finally. Um, I think that the next big push for the Tau community is to enjoy September, um, have all of these events together, and then really start striking out in our own direction for our own things. I think that we have to take a little bit of a page out of the Battletech community. And I think that we have to start enjoying our fan-made uh, productions a little bit more. Um, as some of you might know, I was involved with the Warhammer Plus show, The Exodite, um, which was a lot of fun to be a part of. But, you know, one of the things that a lot of people criticize is, is that it's basically yet another, you know, three episode or X episode uh, series that is just dedicated to making the Tao seem as foolish as possible. Um, now, you know, the original storyline for the Exodite is very different. And I want to talk about it a little bit right now because I think that it's, it's a nice what if. And if we've learned anything about Marvel or I guess DC, um, Star Trek or Star Wars, any of the big franchises, the what if universe is a wonderful place to live. And, and I like to think in the original, uh, I like to think that, that, that 40k can handle it, right? Because we have this built in thing called the warp, where anything is possible, and anything can happen. And this reality that you're reading could be one of 10 realities. And the Warhammer 30k universe that you are currently enjoying with me uh, is actually all a lie. And it's all just the reflections of a mirror in a madhouse, you know. Um, so that said, the what if for the, the Exodite comes from when the now defunct company Lost Legion Studios, uh, which was doing uh, work for Warhammer Plus, uh, back when they were a fan group uh, and they were they were just kind of cobbling things together uh, for the for the love of the game, you know, uh, there was a very tame story that that I would have loved to have seen. Now, in that story, uh, a Tau expedition, a colonial fleet, and uh, a part of the third sphere uh, is blown off course as a result of the Cicatrix Maledictum. And they arrive on the borders of the realm of Ultramar. And you can see elements of this if you go back and watch the first episode. If you, uh, when, you when we come down uh, through the holograms, you can see that the realm of Ultramar is is there and that the fleet location is somewhere somewhere getting closer in the original story they do get blown off course and they are savagely attacked 
by a uh, Primaris space space marine chapter uh, on on a world uh, on a world that they're trying to kind of figure out where they are and what they're doing. Um, and these space marines, um, uh, you can see them again in the flashback of episode one. Uh, they were they were really cool. They were they were a homegrown chapter called the Pale Tempest, and they were alien hunters. That's what they specialized in. And uh, they had a whole backstory, uh, one of which, which was uh, very briefly depicted in the teasers of uh, of the exit. I, again, before it was uh, adopted by Games Workshop, uh, there was supposed to be an entire uh, story uh, about how the Pale Tempest have been fighting the Eldar for a long period of time, uh, and that was, you know. Uh, this is also before the the, the big retcon back when they, uh, it was 120 years between the the current date and the opening of the Cicatrix Maledictum. That has since been retconned, but uh, this original story took place somewhere you know between 110 and 120 years after the the, the rift opened. So uh, in that time, the Pale Tempest uh, became uh, Eldar hunters, and then and now they've kind of gotten around to fighting Tau. So that is what that is what you're seeing in the first episode. You're seeing all of these hints. And the canon that I like to think of uh, as being the way is this Tau expedition gets its nose bloodied. You know, these Pale Tempests really, really uh, hit them out of nowhere. The Tau have never engaged and fought with Primaris Space Marines before. They have they have a uh, hundred years uh, or more. Of engaging with regular space marines, but never, but never the Primaris. And the Primaris uh, are kind of super space marines. They they fight more like space marines than space marines. Uh, rapid tactics, specialized units, uh, more advanced uh, weaponry um, that it, that has been innovative. So if anything, they fight a little bit more like Tau. And as a result, the Tau have to run, and they are running. And as they run they come across uh, a beautiful uh, nebula. And at the heart of that nebula is the, is the Eldar maiden world uh, that, you, that, you know, that we see uh, in the teaser uh, before it was taken down, and then later as a, uh, as a war zone where uh, the Imperium is, is fighting the Eldar. Um, just to note, we we don't actually in the in the in the version of the of the exit that that came to light, we don't actually know why the war is happening. It's just a it's just a random war. Um, in the original story, what was to happen was is the colonial fleet uh, sends down uh, a small strike team, a series of strike teams, um, uh, stealth uh, stealth pilots to scout the planet out and to figure out what's going on and who's there and what you know who's living here this is a paradise this is a planet we can lick our wounds at uh we can maybe even use it as a base of operations to uh to reorient ourselves toward the original mission which is to attack the realm of ultramar um that was that was the an initial plan but when chasper lacoma gets to the planet's surface uh, she starts to she starts to spot exodites um, and she does this from the safety of her her cloaking field but 
they the stealth team watching the exodites kind of they don't know what to make of them this is maybe one of the first times that they've encountered uh eldar like this all they know is that the eldar hit you when you're down hit you when you're not looking um the tau have a very volatile relationship with the dark eldar and uh you know in the original uh notes pure tide was uh uh was shot uh, well somehow poisoned by Dark Eldar radar, uh, raiders when he was on uh, on the border. Um, that's why he eventually retires to Mount Kanji on Dalith. Um, some of the earliest bad guys for the Tau are the Dark Eldar because the designers of the you know the of the faction thought that that would be a good dichotomy. That would be a good nemesis for the Tau, the Dark Eldar. And I totally agree. Makes more sense than uh, orcs, kind of, or or chaos, or or even the Imperium, Dark Eldar fantastic anyway um so what would have happened is lacoma would then make a call and the call is we cannot afford to let these eldar exist because we're down right now we're weakened and if we try to do what we normally do which is try to engage in diplomacy with the eldar who knows what will happen they'll run back and tell somebody and they'll come and they'll wipe us out you know um that's happened before um a, a big uh, you know there was a the the tau came across an abandoned craft world and a group of harlequins came out and mopped the floor with them uh you can look that up uh but but lacoma's in this this hard place where she has to choose what is the greater good in this instance it's not just military people up in this colonial fleet. Like, it has all the building blocks to create its own sept. You know, maybe multiple septs uh, as they uh, as they push toward trying to uh, threaten Ultramar and to start taking some of the pressure that Ultramar has been, uh, uh, you know, building up around places like Nimbosa and the and the southernmost part of the uh, of the Tau Commonwealth uh, closer to Tashvar. So the the it's it's uh, very much in the in the habit of Shadow Sun to create a a well funded distraction so that it draws material and resources away from the area that she is striking at. So that was the whole purpose of this colonial fleet. But to Lacoma, I mean, there's still people on board this this fleet, uh, civilians, and she can't risk their death. So she has to make the call, and her call is to attack the Exodites. Um, and they do. Um, in the original uh, series, there would have been three episodes, and um, in the third episode, uh, you would have seen this attack. Now, in the second episode, you would have gotten to know uh, the Exodite uh, himself, well, actually, herself. Uh, originally, uh, there was going to be, um, and it doesn't ever happen, not really, but a striking scorpion, Exarch, gets shot in the face um and uh after doing battle with uh, one of those aforementioned uh, pale tempest space marines um he gets shot in the face and whatever it does causes irrevocable damage to uh his mindset and kind of blasts him out of the hyper dedication that exarchs have for their their way of the warrior and when that happens it opens his mind momentarily and he receives a vision and that vision is super important because it's a vision unlike something he's ever seen before. Uh, and, and it comes and, and depicts uh, 
images of Isha, the, uh, the, the Eldar goddess um, who is trapped in the Garden of Nurgle. Um, and that would have been really important because he follows that vision and goes on a quest that, that, uh, that basically lands him into uh, the Exodite, uh, this Exodite uh, homeworld or maiden world. Um, and there he's just kind of trying to figure out how do I open my mind up again to that and get more visions of Isha. There is a young girl, a young Exodite, uh, who uh, very much wants to be a warrior. And this happens a lot. This, this is actually how the Rangers come to be. You know, the, the, the Eldar have this kind of frenetic drive in them uh, that makes them want to be uh, different things. And so that's why Eldar sometimes, you know, they walk the way of the Farseer, they walk the way of the, the Guardian, the Striking Scorpion, and so on and so forth. Very much the Rangers are, uh, have a lot of their number come from uh, the Exodites. Um, this uh, Eldar female uh, sees in, uh, and his name was Kelseth, uh, sees in Kelseth an opportunity to learn more about the greater universe and obviously become a warrior uh, who will join the rest of the endless uh, uh, conflict of the, of the Warhammer 40k uh, galaxy. So, so in these two characters, you know, you have, you have one who is trying to find peace and in the other you, is, yeah, is basically literally trying to find war. And as both of them are talking and, and trying to basically convince each other uh, of, of wanting to do the opposite of what the other wants, uh, the Tau suddenly attack. And Kelseth is, is forced to don his uh, Exarch armor again. And, uh, and while the rest of the village is being burnt down, very, you know, very Return of the Jedi Ewok village uh, odds, um, uh uh, the striking scorpion uh, kind of fights the 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 stealth the XV uh, stealth team um, kind of with the the more esoteric and mystical version of what their technology does uh, fading into shadows for example um, and 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 ninja striking out of others um, it comes down to a final showdown between Lacoma and Kelseth and uh, they they basically kill each other. The story would have continued into a second season with uh, the young Exodite actually picking up the armor of, of Kelseth and becoming the warrior that she wanted to be with the kind of twist that Kelseth's soul is now trapped inside of the spirit stones on the armor and kind of serves as almost like a, a more... Uh, upset uh, version of Obi-Wan uh, attached to a way more bloodthirsty Luke Skywalker. Uh, meanwhile, um, Lacoma would be uh, her... Uh, one, of the, one of the aspects of the Tau universe is this family aspect that used to be a very big part of it. Um, Shadow Sun having two uh, other sisters. Um, the, uh, the original codex that has a... Uh, a diplomat uh, writing home to his sister as he's uh, on a cultural exchange in Peck. Uh, all of, you know, the, the family used to be a bigger part of the town. And, and what would have been interesting, I think, is, is that if you had seen uh, a commander who is the mother of Chasfrey Lacoma 
uh, kind of flying into a little bit of that uh, now uh, mythical uh, Tau uh, rage, uh, blood rage, um, uh, at the loss of her daughter and wanting vengeance specifically on the Exodite, which is now, you know, has is now wearing uh, the striking scorpion, scorpion armor. So that would have been the basis for the second season and uh, the arrival of the Pale Tempest in the system. Uh, obviously, they've been chasing the Tau uh, ever since they bloodied their nose and and that you know and the second season would have resulted in that kind of uh, global war between the Exodites, uh, Space Marines, uh, and uh, and additional uh, Imperial servants uh, against the Tau, and that would have been the basis for the war that you see. Um, I think what ended up happening uh, with Warhammer Plus is something just. You know, let's just call it more imperial oriented. Um, yet, I yet again, it just it, it left me wanting to know why, what happened, what will happen. Uh, I think one of the thing that that things that is cool is Lacoma ending up in Camera instead of dying, which is which is cool. But I want something else. What happens next? Uh, what does Lacoma do? And I think that it's a perfect segue for her to uh, link up with Anshi and maybe even be the basis for uh, a, a rescue mission or, or uh, the way that Anshi gets back to the rest of the Commonwealth. Uh, I, I, would, I would love to see that. Uh, and, and, and so again, you know, we're, we're now rounding an hour, but, but when it comes to canonicity, we ha I think we specifically I mean just look look at the leagues of Votan, you know I I just a big shout out to that community you know they are now out for some time I think a year plus and they still don't have a single book. They don't they don't have they don't have a short story that I've I've heard of, um, they don't have anything and yet that community uh, perhaps it's because it just like the Tau community has a tendency to attract people who like to work together <laughs> a little bit more um, and find communality. The, the Leagues of Votan player base is tenacious. Um, and they are just holding on. They are just holding on. Uh, I, I, I won't say for dear life or anything like that. I do think eventually we will get books and stuff like that uh, dedicated to uh, the reimagined squats, but they just are... They are uh, a, a community to be admired, just just with how little that they they have gotten from you know the source. Which again, I bring up: why do we need why do we need to rely on the source so much? I mean, codexes don't even have calendars anymore or or timelines. They don't have they don't have the lore that they used to. I mean, that you can just go on Reddit and look up breakdowns. The percentages drop every year. Um, there's just less and less interest, it seems, from Games Workshop to have cohesive, good lore with good authors. And that's probably because they, they, the authors are no longer recognized for their work. And it's just kind of the faceless company producing product. Um, I say that with a little bit of judgment, but, but only because I am old enough to have remembered a time where that was not the case, where 
uh, it wasn't just so money driven. And they're succeeding at that. Um, they're succeeding. I mean, it's, they've had the most successful year on record. But I don't really judge success on monetary gain. Uh, uh, I base it on uh, the health of the community. And a lot of people in the Xenos communities uh, are starved uh, and tired and, and quite frankly, I think uh, a little bit exasperated with, uh, you know, I mean, it's become a meme now of just like, the, when, when's the next lieutenant going to be released? So... I ask you this, as we start September, uh, and I promise the subsequent episodes will have more lore to them than pontification, but I really do think, as a call to action, that all, really all Xenos players, or really all 40k players, to invest in your communities and create narratives that you find great um, because that's how that's where the narratives used to come from you know that orc that 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 flew into the eye of terror looking for a fight um, that that came from an eye of terror uh, group of orc players who decided that they were going to carve out their own orc empire during the eye of terror worldwide campaign you know i, I which I've, I've brought up in earlier episodes but it is true the communities make good stories um and now we have all the tools to be able to grow our communities and to get behind ideas that are that are a little bit homegrown yeah and and perhaps not canon but there is no canon to quote aaron dembski bowden uh, that your canon is what you think it is. And I think that as you listen to this podcast and the podcast episodes to come for this this fantastic month of September, I would love that you consider starting to get on board with each other and to start figuring out what you think is going on with our lore and not to rely on the kind of let's just call it the contentious and seemingly endless amounts of short stories and books that don't do, that don't unite us. Um, and, and I think we'll all be better for it. I think we'll enjoy this hobby much more together. And, uh, and perhaps we just need a little bit more innovation um, to, give us, to give us that feeling uh, that I used to get whenever I cracked open a white dwarf and saw a new battle report uh, or a new short story. So we'll see. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I I am putting this one out on the faster side, so so apologies for all the ums. Uh, it is a sore spot and something that Redrix makes fun of me a lot about, but uh, I am happy to be back, happy to get this month going, and I really do hope that you can join us on the Discord, um, always, uh, we're, we're almost 2,000 members now. It's actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, have, uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this while you're painting, driving. Uh, some people have mentioned that I have a voice that puts them to sleep, so I hope that's a good thing sometimes in the right, in the right instance. Uh, but uh, be safe, be healthy, uh, and uh, I will uh, see you next time.